0: Um, we are um, we're thinking uh, this series about everyday mission, we're thinking about what it means for us in the ordinary places of our lives uh, to be on mission, uh, but I guess uh, for the first few weeks of the series we're zooming out to try to get a view of the big picture um, of God's mission in the Bible so we can then figure out what we should do uh, and, and play our part uh, within that mission. Um, and just the quickest of recaps. Um, If we're trying to figure out what is our mission, here is your mission, if you choose to accept it. Um, Week one, uh, we were in the garden in Genesis 1, and we discovered that the mission that God gave to all human beings was this extraordinary mission to rule over creation in a way that reflects the character of God the King. uh, To rule with love and with wisdom in a way that brings good and blessing to all creatures. That's our creation mission, our creation mandate. And then week two uh, we were with abraham in genesis 12 and we discovered that as children of abraham um, our mission is to be blessed by god and then to be a blessing and that that blessing is not a weak or watery thing but it's about reversing the curse and undoing the consequences of sin and restoring the shalom of god's creation and so that's already pretty um, exciting that's the mission that we are part of that's the big the big picture uh, of god's mission um, this week we're going to zoom in on this part of the story and ask very specifically um, what was the mission of jesus so we've been in the garden we've been with abraham now we're zooming in on the center of the story i guess and asking what was the mission of jesus if i was to ask you um, why did Jesus come? Why did he live? Why did he die? Why did he rise again? Why did he return to the Father? Why did he make that journey? Um, I wonder how you would answer that question. Um, there's different ways we might come at it um, or answer it. What was the mission of Jesus? He was a man of a mission when he came. Uh, what was his mission? Uh, and I want to think this morning about two quite different ways of answering that question both of which are true um, and that we we've got to somehow hold together Um, here's one true way to answer the question Um, and it's with a story from the luke 19 i'm not going to read it but uh, it's probably a story you know quite well Uh, there was a small man who was in a tree and he was a rich man uh, because he had cheated many people. He was a bit of a swindler and a, and a, a crook. Uh, he made his money dishonestly. Um, and he had heard about a travelling rabbi called Jesus, and he was curious because there was a crowd out to, uh, to see Jesus. And that's why he was in the tree, because he was small, and he wanted to get a better view uh, of Jesus. Maybe as we read the story, we also wonder if part of why he's in the tree is because he's not... He's ashamed of the things he's done he's not popular with the crowd he's a little bit on his own uh, we don't know but anyway he's up the tree at least because he's small because uh, he wants to see and jesus came and stood under his tree and he called the little man by his name which was zacchaeus and he said zacchaeus i'm coming to your house to visit and the little man came down And we're told that he welcomed Jesus gladly. And that encounter with Jesus changed everything for Zacchaeus. And he paid back everyone he had cheated and he gave away half half his wealth. And it was a life-changing encounter. And at the end of that little story in Luke 19, Jesus spoke these words in the home of Zacchaeus. He said, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. That's interesting. We were with Abraham last week. Um, And then what does he say? So the blessing promised to Abraham has come to this house and this little man. And he says, for the son of man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. Why did Jesus come? He came to seek and save the lost. loss the the mission of jesus is deeply personal he's come to look for individual people with their own story and their own shame and their own journey and their own name and he's come to seek and to save them he's come for one and another one and another one he's come to visit people in their homes and eat with them and have fellowship with them and then to turn their lives upside down (laughs) Uh, and in fact to turn their lives right way up. Uh, All of it we see just encapsulated in that little story with Zacchaeus. That's why Jesus was coming. And actually within Luke's Gospel, just a few chapters before uh, the story about Zacchaeus, Jesus told a story, told a parable with a very similar point in Luke 15, about a shepherd who leads 99 sheep who are safe at home in the field and goes looking for the one that is lost until he finds it. He searches and searches and searches until he finds it. And then he carries it home on his shoulders with great joy and throws a party. And Jesus is giving us a picture of why he has come. Jesus is the good shepherd, And he's come looking for the lost. He's come looking for one silly lost sheep that has wandered off. And the lost sheep is all of us, whether we realize it or not. Um, Isaiah says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray, all lost our way. And Jesus has come to bring us home. He's come for the one. Um, As we think about Jesus coming, uh, to seek and save the lost. I think that's really important. He, he hasn't just come for the lost. Sometimes we talk about the lost or the unsaved or unbelievers. as kind of a generic, uh, faceless, nameless group. Jesus hasn't come for the lost as a faceless, nameless group. He's come looking for the one. The one foolish sheep that's stuck in the ditch. The one foolish little man who's up the tree. He's come looking for the one, and he's come looking for you. His love is deeply personal. Why has Jesus come? That's why he's come. I had a great privilege this week uh, of spending some time with Florence, who many of you know. Um, and Florence has given me permission to tell this story, uh, which moved me very deeply. Three years ago, Florence had a, a medical crisis and was rushed to hospital, um, losing a lot of blood. And she came very close to death. Um, and afterwards, the doctor said that it was a miracle that she'd survived. Um, but Florence carries a memory of, in that moment of being close to death, something happened, which was that she felt a hand on her shoulder and she heard a voice saying, You are worth saving. And after Florence survived, she talked to the doctors and the medical staff to find out did any of you in the room speak those words while I was bleeding, while I was near death? And there wasn't anybody in the room who had said those words. And so I think like the little boy Samuel in the Bible, Florence realised the voice speaking there was not a human voice. Florence told me there are still moments when she can feel still the hand on her shoulder and i think that story conveys better than anything i can say um, what i wanted to communicate uh, this morning um, jesus comes to the individual and places a hand on their shoulder and says you're worth saving. i've come for you um, and so maybe i want to say before we move on um, if you've never responded personally to jesus I want to make sure that you hear this today, that Jesus comes and stands under your tree. I don't know what your story is, and I don't know what shame you carry, and I don't know what mistakes you've made. Um, But whatever your journey has been, Jesus comes and stands under your tree, and he speaks your name. And he says, I want to come to your house, and I want to sit down with you and eat with you if you will say yes to that invitation, if you'll say yes to Jesus, then everything can change from this moment for you. There's forgiveness of sins, there's transformation of life, there's hope for life in the future. But it starts with just saying yes to that invitation. I want to make sure you hear that uh, this morning. Um, I want to pray that you'll feel a hand on your shoulder this morning uh, saying this is for you. That's one way to answer the question. Um, But that's not the only way to answer the question. What is the mission of Jesus? Why has he come? He's come for the one one lost sheep, the the one lost person. Um, But I want to show you um, a remarkable bunch of texts from the New Testament that open up a different angle, a different way of thinking about the mission of Jesus. And we've got to hold it together with the very personal vision uh, that we just thought about. Um, let me read, I think, possibly my favourite little summary of the Gospel in the New Testament, and one that's well worth memorising and learning off um, from Colossians 1. It says about Jesus in Colossians 1, verse 19 and 20, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself, all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross here is a very big vision of what jesus has come to do to reconcile to god all things and whenever you start looking for it you start to find that that phrase is all through the new testament let me just show you a few examples Um, so paul in ephesians 1 speaks about God's purpose God's plan to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ maybe you're thinking well that's just Paul Paul has a a thing about the all things but then we find Jesus in Matthew 19 speaking about the future and speaking about the renewal of all things then we find Peter in the book of Acts chapter 3 preaching about the final restoration of All things. And then when we get to the very end of the Bible, we find that verse that Glenda read for us earlier, where the voice from the throne uh, says, Look, I am making all things new. It's all through the New Testament. In thinking about the mission of Jesus and why he came, he came to make everything new, to renew all things, to restore all things, to bring unity to all things, to reconcile all things, uh, maybe to finish with one more. It um, doesn't use the phrase "all things," but I think has the the same big scope. Um, Paul writes in Romans chapter eight that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. This is a big gospel that the New Testament preaches. And so, I want to suggest we need to hold these two things together. The mission of Jesus is deeply personal, think of Zacchaeus up his tree, think of the lost sheep. And the mission of Jesus is cosmic, it's as big as the whole of creation, the whole cosmos is involved and included. All things on earth, all things in heaven. And so somehow we need to hold both these truths about the gospel together. The gospel is about the one. The gospel is about all things. Um, What is the mission of Jesus? To come looking for one lost person, to call them by name, to restore them to fellowship with himself and his father. What is the mission of Jesus? It's to restore all things, renew all things, reconcile all things, make all things new, to liberate the whole groaning, broken, wounded creation and bring it into the freedom and glory of the children of God. I hope that blows your mind uh, just a little bit this morning. Um, Let me ask this, how does that perspective help us, again, coming back to this, as we get up on a Monday morning and we put on the kettle and we get ready for our week, um, how does thinking about those two aspects of the mission of Jesus help you and I in the choices we make and the way that we live um, day by day. And I want to talk about two uh, encouragements or challenges for us um, arising out of these two aspects of the mission of Jesus. And so the first one, very simply, is to go looking for the lost one. Go looking for the one person. um, I think as we think about the mission of Jesus it asks us the question um, how could we see people the way Jesus sees them not just as a crowd not just as a generic bunch of uh, lost people or unsaved people how could we have his heart for the one um, to see people with names people with stories people with their own unique journey um, and maybe not just the obvious people Uh, but the ones hiding in a tree I don't know who that is in your world Um, the ones who are on the edge of the crowd Um, maybe not just the nice people but the people who are not easy to like there's a lot about Zacchaeus that I think would have got right up your nose he was collaborating with the Romans he was cheating and swindling his own people yet Jesus goes looking for him Um, Jesus comes for all people and cares about all people especially all through the Gospels has this heart for the outsider for the one on the edge of the crowd for the the leper, the Samaritan the tax collector, the prostitute Um, the story about Zacchaeus comes just after a story where Jesus goes looking for a blind beggar called Bartimaeus and those two stories are side by side, both of them in different ways on the edge of the crowd, one a very poor man, one a very rich man jesus goes looking for them both and so maybe the question the challenge for you and i um, who are those people in the ordinary landscape of our everyday there's lots of reasons why people end up on the edge of the crowd Um, sometimes they end up there because life is hard they've been beaten up by life and sometimes they end up there because the crowd can be cruel and can uh, banish people, or shame people, or sideline people uh, as an outsider. Um, sometimes people end up in the crowd, on the edge of the crowd, like Zacchaeus, because of their own stupid choices. Right? There's lots of reasons why people end up on the edge of the crowd, but Jesus goes to where they are and goes looking for them. He doesn't distinguish between the ones who were put there by the cruelty of the world and the ones who are put there by their own stupidity. He goes looking for them. And he wants to sit down with them and eat with them. And so again, I wonder who are those people in the world you live in, in your workplace or in your neighbourhood or in your circle of friends. Um, And what would it mean for you, really practically, to go and stand under their tree and say, I've noticed you and I see you and to speak their name and to sit down and eat with them what would it mean for you to do that? Um, I, I'm struck in the Zacchaeus story by the fact that Jesus um, doesn't invite Zacchaeus to come and eat with him in his own home. We're told in the Gospels Jesus didn't have a home. Um, but he invites himself to Zacchaeus's home. Um, and I think there's something significant in that. Um, uh, Wallace was telling me recently about someone speaking to the students who challenged the, stu- the Christian students that sometimes... We invite people to come to our things in the cu or in the in church and we wonder why they don't want to come but meanwhile we've never gone to their things when they've invited us uh, to the things that they're doing and the things that they uh, uh, enjoy and so on um, and i think there's something in that what would it mean for you to go and meet someone on their own turf um, and be with them in their home um, and eat with them um, and then Of course this is really important Jesus doesn't just go to where they are and show kindness and compassion and eat with them though he does but he also then speaks words of life and speaks good news and he speaks about the forgiveness of sins and he speaks about new life in the kingdom of his father and he invites people um, into his family and he invites people to make a response Um, and so question for us. How do we notice those people up the tree? Um, How do we um, uh, stop and speak their name and invite them to come and eat with us and maybe go to their territory to eat with them? How do we show that kindness and compassion? But then, how can we have the courage to speak words of gospel hope and to speak the name of Jesus um, in those places with those people and to ask the Holy Spirit to give us that courage? Uh, to speak hope uh, to the people we meet so that's kind of our first challenge coming out of the mission of Jesus uh, Jesus said one time uh, near the end of his uh, the, the gospels as the father sent me so I am sending you and so our mission is modeled on his mission so if he went looking for the one we're to go looking for the one I wonder how you could do that uh, this week um, here's the second challenge. Uh, arising from the other the other angle on, on the mission of jesus um, and i couldn't really find a, an elegant way of saying this so i said it this way that our mission includes all kinds of things i'm going to explain what i mean by that but our mission includes all kinds of things um if our if our answer to the question about the mission of jesus is only that he's come to seek and save lost individuals then What view are we going to have of our our mission? Um, Our mission then is going to be only to tell people about Jesus and to preach the gospel and to share the good news so they can be saved. And that will be our only task. But if the mission of Jesus, as we've seen, involves and includes all things, then what does that mean for our mission as we are sent in the footsteps of Jesus? And I think it means that it will include all kinds of other things, not instead of evangelism, but along with evangelism, and in a way that gives evangelism its credibility and its power and its beauty and its authenticity. Um, And I think that, that helps to make sense of the fact that, I don't know if you've noticed, that all through the Bible, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, God tells his people to do all kinds of stuff, all kinds of things, as well as preach the gospel. Why does God not just tell his people, preach the gospel, full stop, end of story? What else does he tell his people to do? He tells them to feed the hungry, to welcome the stranger, to love your enemy, to practice hospitality, to give generously, to seek justice for the oppressed, to be peacemakers, and so on and so on and so on. All kinds of things that... Followers of Jesus that believers in God are called to do. Um, And maybe I I do want to say this with a wee bit of bluntness. Um, Sometimes growing up in Northern Ireland, I heard people question whether these other things have value. And people would say things like, well, what's the point in doing all these things if you don't get to share the gospel and those people are still going to hell? And the thing that I started to notice as I grew up read the Bible was that the Bible itself never makes that point it never says what's the point in doing those things we are told again and again to go and preach the gospel and to share good news and we're told to go and do these other things our mission includes all of them why because the mission of Jesus includes all things saving individuals and mending all that is broken in the cosmos um, it's a moment in my life um, i've never forgotten there's not many sermons in my life that i can still remember everybody forgets what the preacher talked about um, but i remember when i um about 20 years ago 18 years ago um when i remember because uh, my deborah was expecting our first child at the time and i went i left her, abandoned her for a little while and went to uh Conference in the Netherlands, uh, where there were people from one hundred and fifty different countries present, and uh, I was listening to a man preach. Called uh, he was from Sri Lanka. He was a Christian from Sri Lanka. whose name was Vinoth Ramachandra, uh, which is quite a name. Um, and it was a moment that, I, that I've never forgotten because, in a sense, he brought a rebuke or a challenge to those of us who are Christians in the West. And What he said was something like this. He said, often when I am in rich Western nations, like the UK, I hear Christians sitting around and discussing and debating what is more important, evangelism or social action, preaching the gospel or feeding the hungry. And he said this to us, he said, we in other parts of the world, in Southeast Asia and in Africa and in Latin America, we don't have that luxury. Was sitting around having those debates. He said, Jesus told us to preach the gospel and he told us to feed the hungry. So we are getting on with doing both gladly every day. And it landed with me and it stayed with me ever since. Um, As we said a couple of weeks ago, our evangelism will be much more effective. will ring out with greater power and beauty and authority when we're also engaged in this wider mission of seeing all things me and you. I want to share three very quick stories to finish with. Um, Two of them are true, one of them is fictional. You've got to guess, nobody's doing I'll tell you which one. Um, And two of them are negative, but one of them is positive. Um, Just as I was thinking about these things, um, a a real life example landed on my doorstep, um, or not on my doorstep, but someone shared with me. a couple of weeks ago, uh, someone I know told me they, they follow someone on social media um, who's part of a group who organise uh, cleanups of the river ban. Um, it's a group of volunteers. They're not paid, but they go out in Corain and down in Port Stewart um, along the riverbank regularly to clean up rubbish. And it's astonishing the amount of plastic and rubbish and stuff that is dumped in the river. And these are people who go out purely as volunteers just to clean up at uh, the edges of the river uh, for the rest of us um, but a couple of weeks ago they sent out a, a plea on social media uh, and they said that every time they go out to pick up rubbish they find dozens of plastic bottles with gospel tracts inside them and they put out a plea and said would whoever is dropping these plastic bottles please think again right? and it, it really um, it's kind of bothered me and stayed with me. If our task is only evangelism, that makes all kinds of sense. Let's get the gospel out there any way we can. Let's cover the world in it and not worry about plastic in the rivers. But what does it do to the reputation of the gospel? We can't preach the good news about Jesus while trashing God's creation. There's a dissonance that happens there. That means people can't hear the beauty of the gospel that wallace was talking about earlier on there's gotta be a better way i'm all for the enthusiasm and the passion and let's get the gospel out there but there's got to be a better way i find myself thinking how much better if christians were out there with those people picking up the trash together and as they go maybe asking the other volunteers why do you do this and listen to their motivations then maybe the moment will come when they ask, well, why do you do it? And there's an opportunity to say, well, I believe this world is God's world and he's given us a responsibility to care for it and that's why I'm out here. And there's an opportunity to share good news but how much more powerful it is when our actions and our words match. Um, that's one example for you to reflect on. Um, Here's a fictional one. Um, And one that, that, again, I've thought about uh, often for years and years. Um, this is a book that was published uh, 25 years ago um, and I read when I was a student uh, by Barbara Kingsolver called The Poisonwood Bible. It was an award winning novel. I think they're actually about to make it into a TV series 25 years later. Um, but it, it's a, If you like your novels really depressing and heartrending and so on, as I do, then you'll love this. Um, it's a really difficult story to read but it's it's the story of a missionary family who go from America to the Belgian Congo in the 1950s. And it's a father, and, uh, a man and his wife, and their four daughters. Um, but the, the father, who's very much the dominant personality, um, is someone who has a real zeal for wanting to preach the gospel, wanting to get the message of Jesus out there. But he's not someone who really loves well. He doesn't really love his wife well, he treats her disrespectfully in all kinds of ways. He doesn't really love his kids well, and they get damaged and hurt in all kinds of ways. The story moves me because I think um, it rings true, this can happen. I'm not saying it happens all the time, but it can happen. Um, He doesn't love his neighbours in the Congo very well. He doesn't really take the time to get to know their culture. He doesn't really even take the time to properly learn their language. He just wants to get the gospel out there. And so the the name of the book comes from a central moment in the novel when he's wanting to get out there and preach, and he's wanting to tell them Jesus is beautiful, Jesus is wonderful. Um, But the word in their language for beautiful or wonderful is one syllable away from a word that means poison wound which is a plant that brings you out in a terrible rash. And so it's a kind of parable in the middle of the novel. This is a man who genuinely wants to tell people that Jesus is wonderful and beautiful, but because he doesn't work hard at humility and love and serving his neighbors and all the other things that God has called us to, all they hear is Jesus will bring you out in a terrible rash. That's what they hear in his preaching. And that's also, I think, what they hear in his life. It's a novel that makes you think there's gotta be a better way. That's why I wanna finish with a, a positive example. And I guess I was struck this week. I was thinking about the Poison Wood Bible. And then I was thinking about Dalway. Um, Dolway is from this fellowship and has been in Uganda this week. And I believe from about tomorrow, uh, he's flying to South Sudan. Is it South Sudan tomorrow, I think? Mm-hmm. And then into part of the Congo. Is that right Or South Sudan. South Sudan. Yeah. The Congo was mentioned. Let's pretend Congo because it fits my circle. Um, the, point, the point remains. Um, always travelling into these parts of Africa, flying in a plane into the middle of the jungle. But what a different way of doing mission. What a different way of doing mission. Because fields of life are building schools where they are teaching, reading, and they're teaching life skills and they're preparing people for life and they're teaching about medical things and sanitation and they're especially teaching young girls and young women in a way that gives them dignity and gives them value in a culture where they often don't have it. And They're digging wells uh, which are saving lives and changing lives as people don't have to walk miles and miles to get water and so they're bringing fresh uh, healthy drinking water to people. And in the middle of doing all those things they are sharing good news about jesus i wonder can you see how the gospel rings out as something good and beautiful and true when god's people are engaged in the whole mission of jesus and not just one part Uh, how much better whenever someone from fields of life says to people jesus has come to bring living water the world how much more does that message ring out when they've already brought them fresh drinking what the good news sounds true and it sounds good and it sounds beautiful and so the challenge i want to leave you with this morning um, first of all go looking for the one Um, but secondly how could you um, follow that example of, of of fields of life and in the places where you are every day Live the gospel in a way that looks like good news. Um, do the, all the things that Jesus has asked us to do in the power of the Spirit. And then in the middle of that, share good news which will ring out um, as good and true and beautiful. Um, let's pray together. And um, then we're going we're gonna to sing a song uh, to finish. Um, let me just remind you, um, if you'd like prayer this morning uh, for anything going on in your life or your heart, there a couple of people up here uh, who would love to, to pray with you. <coughs> let's let's pray.